Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're looking at a fascinating topic. It's a topic that brings us to the heart of Indian country and its emphasis on whole plant foods. It's an amazing story, and it actually revolves around a man by the name of Albert Sanchez. Dr. Sanchez, it's great to have you with us on today's show. It's a pleasure to be with you, David. Now, Albert, for people that know nutritional research, many of them, your name is not a strange name. You've been doing nutritional research for years. But tell us a little bit about your background for those who don't know anything about you. Well, my background is one that's very interesting. I believe that uh, God was directing my life from the start. I didn't know what to choose as a career, but it just step by step, I was led into it. First, when I first took my uh, chemistry in high school, everybody told me, don't take that class because it's hard and you won't like it. Well, I went in there with an open mind and found out that I really loved it. In fact, that became my major in college. Hmm. So uh, that's the way I started. Then I got an opportunity to work in a food company when I was going to the university, and that was in La Sierra, California. And... uh, I was able then to to see the value of nutrition. From there, I went into uh, graduate school and got a master's degree in biochemistry. And that, to me, was just wonderful. It was the greatest experience. And I got to work with perhaps one of the greatest uh, persons that I know of in the area of nutrition. He had been developing. At that time, everything was beginning he was in the team which actually discovered the vitamins and some of the minerals, and he actually was a world-known authority on B12. Wow. So was Dr. Judy Register, who actually guided my doctoral studies in the area of protein, which I wanted to be in, the area of protein showing the quality of protein in food. This is tremendous, Albert, and I mean, it's just so many things about your story I think are resonating with a lot of my listeners. Uh, The first thing that I want to pick up on is this idea that you went and got a formal training in a discipline that people told you was going to be hard, was going to be difficult in those early days, I guess, as a, a college student taking chemistry. What kind of lesson do you have in that for maybe young people that are tuning into the show, maybe others that may have children or grandchildren that are wondering about their careers? Well, I think a big lesson for me is don't go by what other people say. You are an individual. You are not the same as everybody else. And God has given you capacities and interests and desires and abilities that that you need to develop. And, and if you're stymied by somebody else's opinion, you've lost out. Hmm. Do what you feel is right for you. No, I mean, that is such a great message. And it that's true for people, whether they come from a, a spiritual perspective, like you're sharing from a, 
uh, you know, focus on a God that's leading them or whether it's someone just identifying their own talents and their own strengths. Don't let uh, someone else define you. Uh, and I would say from, you know, Native American tradition, look to the great creator for direction, as you're saying, uh, uh, Dr. Sanchez. Now, let's kind of bring ourselves back up to speed because you get you sink your feet, uh, you sink your teeth, I guess you into chemistry, you set your feet into the waters of, of chemistry, if we, we don't want to mix our metaphors there too much, and you actually find that you enjoy chemistry, you go from there, you get training in biochemistry at a master's level. Now, where along the way did you pick up your doctoral training? That came as I was working there at the food company, uh, I got interested, and then my director at the, the lab and the lab, interestingly, was the International Nutrition Research Foundation, founded by Dr. Harry Miller, the famous China doctor, the one that introduced soy milk into the world. Now, that's a fascinating story, too. Now, Dr. Sanchez, a lot of people know the name of Harry Miller, uh, famous for his work in China, and I believe his work was done before World War II, wasn't it? Yes. Actually, he went to China as a missionary in the early 1900s. Okay, and then ultimately he came back to the States, is that right, and tried to develop a, a range of soy foods, or was it mainly soy milk that he was interested in? It was primarily soy milk. Okay, and so you were actually part of the research team early on that was developing soy milks? Yes, in fact, he was anxious to develop a... Um, a meltable soy cheese, but he picked the wrong protein. Soybeans is a globulin. It's not an albumin. Albumin melts when you heat it. Globulin makes it harder. And I made a lot of batches of milk for him to try out and to try to see if he can couldn't do it. He'd make the most delicious soy uh, uh, cheese to make in sandwich and everything, but it wouldn't melt. I see. Very interesting. Now, a lot of folks, as they're tuning in, you're saying, Dr. DeRose, what does this have to do with Indian country? Why is this of interest to First Nation peoples here in North America? Part of what's so fascinating to me, uh, Albert, is if you go throughout the world, most indigenous cultures have had some of their staples centered around beans. And whether it was the soybean in Asia or whether it's other beans here in North America, I don't think the soybean was indigenous here in America. Am I right? That is correct. It's, a, it's an introduction. But the fascinating thing about it is you look at many traditional Native American uh, eating styles and beans were at the center of their diet as well. We want to hear from you throughout this program why beans are so important. I know you've got a lot of interesting research, but we don't want to miss the human interest side of things because I think you've got a fascinating story. So you're, you're somebody who was basically told, don't go into chemistry. It's going to be too hard. You do it anyway. You find you really love it. You end up in biochemistry working with some leading researchers like Dr. U.D. Register, who I know of. Actually, Dr. Register, and, and this uh, is probably dating us both, but he was one of my teachers in medical school. He was uh, lecturing to medical students there in Southern California when I uh, did my medical training many moons ago. And... Uh, it's just amazing because Register was, even then, he was regarded as one of these cutting-edge nutritional scientists. So you trained under him and Harry Miller, and 
was it at their encouragement that you went on and got your doctorate in nutrition? Yes. Actually, uh, Dr. Miller had a, a vision of an 18-year-old at 86. Wow. So he was 86 when you were working with him? Yes. Wow, and he just never lost that innovative spirit. No, no, no. Actually, he would he would get up early. He would go through all the rounds of every of the things that he wanted to do that morning. And at about eight or nine, when we were coming, eight o'clock when we were coming in, about a half an hour to an hour later, he'd be going to have his breakfast. Interesting. Very interesting. No, he's man. an amazing individual. So at that time, as as you pointed out, at that time there were a lot of ideas brewing relative to proteins for the human diet. So set the stage, Albert. So what what year are we talking about? When were you working with uh, Miller and Register? We're t- talking about the late fifties, early sixties. So, okay, so late nineteen fifties, early nineteen sixties. And so a lot of the stuff that we know today, I mean, I can remember even uh, as a student in the 70s and 80s, they were telling us, oh, you know, proteins, you know, got to get animal protein and, and uh, you got to have this complete mix of amino acids, those building blocks and proteins. So you were in an era even before that where people were, I'm presuming, still talking about these kind of things and maybe thinking the soybean was inferior or any bean for that matter. Well, that, that's the, the Malou, uh, the scientific uh, background that I came into, and it was exciting, uh, David. At that time, we were living off of the research of Germans, uh, great scientists in the 1850s, who established the idea that you had to have meat to, to, for, for strong bodies, for health, and, uh, and then... Voigt, his doctoral student, came out with a study showing that you had to have a lot of protein in the diet, 120 grams. He did it on a study of young men who were working hard in the field, and they were taking 120 grams. And his conclusion was they're healthy, they're strong, they're robust. You need 120 grams of protein. And we lived with that for about 100 years. Amazing, amazing. So all he did was look at people that seemed to be healthy. He said, if they're eating this much protein, that must be what we need, huh? That's correct. But at the same time, we knew, like you already pointed out, people around the world that didn't have a lot of meat, didn't have a lot of animal protein, living primarily on on, on beans and legumes, I mean legumes, other legumes, uh, and uh, cereals, they were doing fine. Take, for example, the Orient. Rice and beans. Mm-hmm. Take Latin America, beans and corn. In Mexico and others, beans and rice. Boy. These large groups of people, how did they do it? And that was the question where, where, that I had when I went into doctoral studies. So basically, you're on the front lines here. You're working in the, in the food industry initially, and you've got some people on your team, some forward-thinking people, even though... Uh, one of them is in his 80s, and he's saying, you know, this can't be right. We're looking at indigenous peoples, whether they're Native Americans, uh, you know, honoring corn and beans and squash, whether they're in, you know, Latin American uh, 
Central America, whether they're in Asia, as you pointed out, Africa, we could go through example after example. You say, how could it be that they have to have meat? At least that's the common dogma. So how do you go about doing this research? How do you get the training that you're going to need at a doctoral level to launch into this? Well, this was uh, providentially opened up for me. I went to UCLA where there was one of the uh, leaders in the protein field in science at the time. And I got training in the amino acids and, of course, in protein. But before that, I started out with Dr. Register. I did a study that is very interesting, and and when it's time, I'll, I'll develop it for you. But that's where I began. I began with Dr. Register. It gave me the, the, uh, the idea of background. I got biochemistry as the background of nutrition, which is the, the backbone of nutrition. And from there, I moved on. Now, what's interesting to me about the whole timeline, and for those who've done much in uh, nutritional sciences, and for the benefit of my listeners, if uh, they haven't heard me talk about it before, I not only have a medical doctor's degree, an MD degree, but I also have a master's in public health, and I did study, actually, nutrition and other things at a, at a graduate level more than you would get in just a standard medical curriculum. So one of the things that interests me about this whole dialogue, and uh, Albert, I'm really interested in, in your uh, sharing some insights into this, but I know that as your career progressed, you ultimately ended up at Loma Linda University in the School of Public Health there. Isn't that correct? That's correct. And, and why I'm, I'm trying to connect some of these dots is I can remember years ago learning that there was someone else who, like you, was uncomfortable with this idea that we had to be eating a lot of meat to get all our protein. We're going to talk about Mervyn Harding, some of your uh, reflections on another uh, great researcher and, and, and physician as well. But uh, our time is slipping away right now. Before we go, let me just kind of set the stage for those of you who are tuned in. We're talking with Dr. Albert Sanchez. He's a, an international class researcher in the area of nutrition, and he's going to be sharing with us things that not only are of interest to those of you who may have a background like me and are interested in some of the, uh, the science and some of the history behind some of these fascinating topics, but he's going to be sharing with us some very practical things that he learned from his research that are still cutting-edge science today that can help you, that can help your family, can help your tribe. So you do not want to go away because this show will actually have a lot of practical information that will make a difference for you. We're going to be back with more. Dr. Sanchez is not going away. I'm staying by. You do that, too, because we will be back with American Indian Living shortly. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. 
Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose and with Dr. Albert Sanchez on today's edition of American Indian Living. We're speaking about protein and how across cultural lines, indigenous peoples often have based their diets around beans or often called legumes and whole grains, whether it be the the corn and the wild rice of North America or whether it would be other grains in other parts of the world. And yet, many of those populations, including Native Americans here in North America, at least many tribes before European contact, were not eating huge amounts of animal protein. And this seemed to fly in the face of medical wisdom Dating back to the 1850s, as Dr. Sanchez painted the picture, under the research efforts of uh, a number of German researchers, and up until the 1950s, some hundred years later, still the idea was you needed lots of protein and lots of meat to be healthy. In that environment, uh, Albert, I mentioned the name of Dr. Mervyn Harding. Mervyn Harding, you and I, of course, know as the founder of one of the uh, older schools of public health in America, the School of Public Health at Loma Linda University. That's where I did my master's in public health work and actually had the privilege of meeting Dr. Harding. He was not actually one of my teachers at that point in time. But you and Harding, back in the 50s and 60s, were both trying to answer a couple of burning questions about proteins. What were they? Those questions were, number one, can you get enough protein from plant sources? And the second one, which is even a more burning one, was how can you get the right quality? Because it was believed at that time that you could only get good quality protein from animal protein. Well, you know, these were burning questions in the 50s and 60s, but when I talk with my patients, many of them act like, they still haven't heard the answer. They say, well, Dr. DeRose, don't I have to eat a lot of meat? Uh, I thought the protein in beans was no good. How did you go about, people like you, people like Dr. Harding, how did you guys go about 
coming up with answers that have really changed the outlook in the nutrition community? Well, that's interesting. I was had the tremendous privilege of going to uh, Loma Linda and getting a master's degree in biochemistry under Dr. U.D. Register, this uh, famous uh, nutritionist, biochemist. And my project that I chose was biological value of plant protein and also combinations. We found out that feeding grains and legumes together at a meal, one would complement the other, and they would give you a quality of protein the same as meat in in various combinations. And that was exciting. That was the, my first entry into the area of protein research. And the second one, was which was even more exciting, was my research on biological value. Well, let's talk about this because for those who have some nutritional background, especially if it goes back uh, several decades, as mine does, uh, these were f- common terms. And I can remember studying nutrition uh, first in the 70s, actually, as an undergraduate, then in the 80s. Um, a lot of talk about biological value. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I didn't even realize till right now that you did some of that pioneering research in uh, biological value. It was based, wasn't it, on on an egg as being like a perfect protein? Am I remembering that right, or am I a little confused? No, that's correct. The egg was the standard. Well, you know, to to, to get a chicken, a little chick out of a, a shell, you've got to have everything. <laughs> so it was a, it was a perfect protein. So you've got this standard, the, the egg, and then they're going to compare these plant proteins, and it was based on their amino acid mix, the mix of the different building blocks in the protein, correct? That's correct. So what was so revolutionary about what you found about biological value? The, the biological value was this. I did a study with a simple little meal, and then to that we added the, the entree, the protein uh, source, and we did the first one was meat, just meat, with mm-hmm. that little meal. And the biological value was 72. And in the 70s, that's a good biological value, 72. But then we had corns and beans because I wanted to represent Latin America, Mexico particularly, and the biological value was 75. And then we wanted to represent the people in the Orient, and that was rice and beans, and that was 79. So we had with meat 72, then 75 with, with beans and corn, and 79 with beans and rice. And with, you, you know, David, when you see that with a standard deviation and all that, scientifically, it was similar. Mm-hmm. It was similar. We can't say the one is better than the other, but what we can say with a lot of voices that when you mix a meal together, whether it has meat or whether it has a combination of plant proteins, the biological value is the same. That, that was such exciting information, and I know it really did in the 80s sweep the nutritional community, 80s and 90s. A lot of people were talking about this important concept that you don't have to uh, eat meat to get your protein. And this is, I mean, not only good news in Indian country where people are 
uh, many of them trying to say we need to recapture an appreciation for our indigenous foods. We need to be eating more of the corn and the beans and the squash. These are actually healthier foods. They helped our ancestors be healthy. And now as we're dealing with things like heart disease and cancer, uh, we need to go back to some of these traditional foods. We do not have to worry about getting enough protein. Is that a safe conclusion to make? That is absolutely correct. And so, uh, yes, what what we are seeing now is a complete turnaround. Dr. Harding was the first that made a, 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 did a study on comparing uh, people with eating meat and eating just plant protein, and he found out that we can get enough protein from plant sources. And then our research was working on what about the quality? And this research that I just pointed out to you on biological value showed that. Actually, at that time, it was thought by the scientific community, nutritionists included in all those places, that you had to have meat. You, you had to have a high-protein intake. But by the research that we were doing, along with others around the world, the, the American Dietetic Association came out with what they call the position paper. What is their thought on this? And they said, you can get the quality and the quantity of protein that we need from plant sources. Powerful message. And, and I know, you know, if you look at different recommendations today, instead of talking about 120 uh, grams of protein a day. They're often talking the range of 50 or 60 grams for many segments of the population, right? That is correct. Yeah, and you know, in, interestingly, just a little sideline on that. Uh, I don't know if our audience is knowledgeable about a little book, Diet for a Small Planet. Mm. It was uh, printed by Francis LePay. Mm-hmm. She was so excited about uh, knowing about uh, our research. She wasn't a scientist, but she was wanting to get into it, and she wrote a, a, a book on diet for a small planet, and she came and she had actually an interview with me, and she got the idea that you had to have certain combinations of beans and rice and all that, and the book she uh, wrote was excellent, but it was so complicated and made, made me feel bad. Mm. But then we, uh, we did another study, and the question at this time was, well, we know you you can get a good quality protein if you put it in the same meal. What about can you get complementation if you eat one protein one meal and the other protein in the other meal? So if you had the beans at one meal and then six hours later you ate corn, would those complement each other? That's correct. And so we did a study, and this uh, my graduate student was uh, from the Philippines, so we uh, combined rice with beans, and uh-huh. the kind of beans they, they like over there is mung beans, the little green beans. Anyway, those we found out that they were complementary, and so we did the study where we fed one group of animals, one one of the uh, protein sources, either rice and the other one, mung beans, and rice and mung beans at separate meals. And interestingly, we got the same quality of value for, from those that were separated at, at, at those that were together in the same meal. Wow. And that, that was really groundbreaking research because I can remember for years, and I, I remember that uh, Diet for a Small Planet, 
where everyone was thinking you had to have these uh, precise mixtures at the, 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 the meal, and you really showed that that didn't have to happen. That's correct. It, what's interesting is that one day I saw Francis uh, Lepesi was visiting, I, I, but I happened to see her on, on, on the wall, and she said, I want to talk to you. I said, well, come, I'll have something to tell you. And I told her about this experiment. She reread, rewrote her book, that, and then put that information. And at that same time, th- that was such news that the American Dietetic Association again made a uh, position paper. And this time they said, no, you don't have to have all the complementary proteins in the same meal. You can have them from meal to meal. And that's where, where the scientific uh, thinking is at this time. Wow. We have got to step away again, Albert, but we want to come back, and you don't want to miss the next segment because I alluded to the problems that we have today, not just in Indian country but everywhere, with heart disease and cancer. Dr. Sanchez went on from the research he's been telling us about, and he's actually looked at different proteins and how they relate to our risk of disease, high cholesterol, hardening of the arteries, atherosclerosis. You do not want to miss this because it is life-changing information. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Don't go away. We'll be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. Stay tuned. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 
1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. We're in the second half of a show that is actually covering... I'll tell you some very practical nutritional information. It may not have seemed that we've gotten to the crux of the matter. We really haven't. We've been going through some modern nutritional history, especially focusing on some of the discussion in nutritional circles about proteins in the 1950s, 60s, and beyond. Albert Sanchez has had a front seat in that dialogue He's got his doctorate in public health from UCLA, that's the University of California at Los Angeles, uh, with an emphasis in nutrition. He has done, for many decades, cutting-edge research. And Dr. Sanchez and I, I think our paths first crossed when I was a medical student at Loma Linda University back many years ago and learned about your research. And you were very gracious at that time. You took me aside, shared uh, with me some of the research you were doing, and I know uh, years later our paths have crossed off and on. You're known as a leading researcher on this topic of nutrition and how it relates to protein. We've already shown in the program so far two key things. First of all, that we can eat plant proteins, proteins from beans, from corn, from uh, squash, from any plant food, even though squash may not be a particularly protein-rich food. But you can get those plant proteins, you can eat them, and you can grow and have just as good a health as if you were eating the meat proteins. They have the, the same quality. There's no inferiority, right? That's correct. But the next part of the equation, you might even criticize me for how I just rephrased our dialogue to this point, but it does have to do with health consequences. And it relates to something that a lot of lay people don't seem to understand. We probably need to take a minute with this. Uh, Albert, I can remember people thinking in terms of things that uh, speed up growth being beneficial. I think even in the research with proteins, wasn't there kind of this idea if things helped an animal grow quicker, they were better for health? That's absolutely true. In fact, it was considered that protein quality was the rate of growth of animals. In other Mm. words, the quality was equivalent to the rate of growth. So everything that grew, uh, grew fast, that, that that was a good quality protein. In fact, that, that's the, the, the whole thing that we were working against. Meat, for example, when fed singly to a, an animal, the, the animal would grow fast. But if you just give beans by itself, it won't. Or if you give, just give, give, give rice by itself, it won't. But when you combine them, what we found out, and that was very exciting, is that it gives you quality protein like uh, meat does. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what we have found since, and the Adventist Health Studies, by the way, show that very clearly, the faster you grow, the sooner you die. And there are numerous research uh, studies showing this in animals. The faster you have the animal grow in early life, the faster they mature, the earlier they die from different diseases. Now, this is really a fascinating topic, and a lot of us are aware that when we're feeding growth in the body, especially with some of these hormones and other things that are being used in livestock, uh, today at least commercially grown livestock, 
those very same hormones may also be speeding up the growth of other things we don't want to grow, like uh, the growth of cancers or the growth of blockage in arteries, atherosclerosis. You actually, I know, specifically looked at atherosclerosis. You looked at cholesterol and things in the diet that would affect someone's cholesterol. Tell us a little bit about your research on that front. For that, I'd like to introduce it with a, a name, Dr. Merritt Horning, who was very interested in this area. He was a, a surgeon uh, that, that uh, was injured, and then he turned his whole life into nutrition research. And actually, he was the sponsor of uh, some of the research that we actually did there. Uh, I worked with him on that, and uh, he sponsored me in various uh, projects, and I really appreciate that. The first one was where he was in Colorado. He had a, a lifestyle center. He was directing that. He was the uh, medical physician of a wealthy individual who set up the whole program because he wanted help. And uh, so we did a study on a, a group of individuals, including, by the way, there was an astronaut in that group. Hmm. Uh, of a uh, subject that we were studying. And what we found out is by this health program, we found out that you can, can lower your risk of cardiovascular disease by lowering blood cholesterol and triglycerides. We can, interestingly, lower the level of certain amino acids and increase the level of other amino acids. Now, this is, really, this is really getting not only interesting, but I know for some of the lay folks, perhaps a bit complicated. So, so let's, let's break this out, because what you're doing is something that's, that's cutting edge. I've got so many patients, Albert, even today. And uh, I'm just thinking of a patient I saw not long ago who has high cholesterol, high triglycerides, and we're saying, you know, here's the conventional approach, and that is you'd be taking medications at this point. Uh, one of these statin drugs, maybe some additional drugs, depending on how you respond, that is pretty much the standard of care. That's what's expected when someone comes in with these high cholesterol, high triglyceride numbers. But you're actually going to be telling us about research where you found that nutrition, proper nutrition, could actually do something similar as far as lowering the numbers as these powerful drugs. Is that correct? That's correct. And, and your focus was on the building blocks, the amino acids. And I know we've mentioned that. Tell me if you like this illustration. Maybe you've got a better one because I actually did for a while teach nutrition at the college level. And I would tell my students that proteins were like trains and the cars and the train were the amino acids. They're the, the building blocks that make this long train, this long protein molecule that then is, you know, twisted and bent on itself and, uh, the, you know, the shape determining much of its function often. But the point was those amino acids are like the cars in the train. Is that a good analogy for understanding amino acids or do you like something better? That's a good one. So let's talk about these building blocks, these cars in the train, these amino acids. You found if you changed the amino acids that someone ate, it would actually lower their cholesterol. Is that true? That's exactly what we found. See, we knew at the time that we did the study 
we knew that uh, a plant protein diet would lower cholesterol. But what we did not know is what happens to amino acids. Hmm. And my doctoral uh, studies was on amino acids, so I was very interested in doing the study with amino acids, and that's exactly what we did. We analyzed the amino acids in relationship to the risks of heart disease and made some correlations that were, to me, still intriguing and haven't really fully been worked out hmm. scientifically. So, so what did you learn? What were, what, were there certain good amino acids and others that were bad, so to speak? What, what we found is this, that plant proteins increase the, for the uh, amino acids called arginine and glycine. These are the, in the area of non-essential amino acids. Those that provoke and aggravate cardiovascular disease are the lysine, arginine, the papillary lysine, the thionine, and the branched-chain amino acids. Hmm. These amino acids are related to, uh, to the cardiovascular disease, and we've looked at them in different ways and they hold true in every case. This is very, very interesting. Of course, today in medical circles, we know that arginine is so important because it's a building block for this compound uh, nitric oxide that helps to relax blood vessels and is involved with lowering blood pressure and other things. Was that research on nitric oxide and arginine, was that after the work you had done? Yes, that came afterwards. The, the uh, arginine provides the nitric oxide that then converts to, to the, that activity of re- relaxing the artery and lowering the blood pressure. So you guys were involved at, on the cutting edge. You were finding, hey, these plant proteins are raising amino acids that people said were non-essential. They said it doesn't matter whether you get these in the diet or not. A lot of people weren't even looking at them. They said, oh, your body can make them from the other stuff. But you were saying when you eat a lot of this arginine and glycine, you actually are are healthier. You have lower cholesterol. You you actually documented that, didn't you? Well, that was our research. And, yeah, and uh, we did this. The first study was on, on this health program in Colorado. But then later on at Loma Linda uh, with the people from the... Uh, clinic there with high cholesterol and low cholesterol we, we gave different proteins and we found the same thing and what's exciting is that you can tell shortly after you feed the, the, the person with the, the different protein you can tell what protein they ate hmm. how would you tell you can tell by the levels of amino acids and you can tell by the levels of the insulin and glucagon, which are two powerful hormones that control metabolism. You can tell by that way, by that method. And you, you uh, just need to realize that the level of insulin secreted after the meal and the level of insulin flowing in, in your bloodstream between meals is a direct related. It's directly related to uh, 
So l- let me ask you this question then. Is um, in your research, because a lot of people here, they, they hear insulin, they're thinking I've got diabetes. If something's going to increase my insulin, then that's going to be good for me. Is that the case or is it the opposite? It's actually the opposite. Well, if you have diabetes and you're dealing with a disease condition where you can't make enough insulin, and then in that context, a little bit more insulin may be beneficial. Mm-hmm. But in normal nutrition and normal health, and and for better health and long-term health, the lower you can have your insulin. You see. Insulin is not only the level of insulin, but how active is it in the cell? How active are the receptors to allow the action of insulin? So Mm -hmm. you have not only the level of insulin, but its activity, its ability to do its job. We've got to talk more about this because this ties in not only with cardiovascular disease like heart attack and stroke, but it definitely ties in with diabetes, another huge disease that's not only of concern in Indian country, but it's of concern to everybody today. Albert Sanchez is with me for one final segment. We're going to pull it all together in our last segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. Already, we've learned that you can eat those indigenous plant proteins and enjoy them and thrive, decrease your risk of heart disease, get all the protein you need, but there is more good news to come. Don't go away. Our final segment is right up. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. 
Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. With me is Dr. Albert Sanchez. Dr. Sanchez, although a pioneer in protein research, especially as it relates to plant and animal proteins, is still active. He is currently the... uh, do I have it right? You're the uh, research director or co- coordinator oh, for research. Is, is that the title? Um, and, and that's at Weimar Institute. Is that correct? Correct. So for those who don't know Weimar Institute or their New START program, you may have heard about it on the show. Actually, I was one of the physicians there with the New START program for several years. Uh, Dr. Sanchez is now the coordinator of New START research. There at Weimar Institute, and uh, people, you can get uh, if you're tuning in and you want more information about the kind of stuff Albert has been talking about. You can go to newstart.com. That's simply new start, not an old start, but a newstart.com, and you can find information about the program that Dr. Sanchez is currently affiliated with. Albert, I want to go back to our dialogue. We were speaking about stuff that is fascinating to those of us with a nutrition background, and we're trying to make sure we have all our listeners on board because you've been telling us, make sure that I've got this correct, you've been saying based on your research, not only can you get adequate protein, uh, abundant protein in plant sources of nutrition, and we're looking at indigenous peoples like here in North America, Native Americans, they were getting all the protein they needed as long as they were getting sufficient calories, presumably from these plant foods. Is that safe to assume? Yes, that's correct. And we went on from there to say not only is uh, plant protein acceptable or adequate or sufficient But we're saying your research and the research of others is now telling us the more plant protein we eat, the healthier we are because we can avoid the risk of killer diseases uh, like heart disease, like stroke, like cancer. We're speaking about heart disease in particular, and uh, many of our listeners, of course, know that for years we've talked about a connection between high cholesterol levels and heart disease. That's been well-established in research literature throughout the world. You and others have found that if we simply eat more things like corn and beans and squash as opposed to, to, to meat and poultry and fish, our cholesterol will typically be lower. And I know fish may be a little bit uh, uh, questionable to some people, but is that safe to say? That's a general idea, yeah. So let's come back to this this connection. I'm a little bit hung up on it, trying to make sure I've got the nuances here. Some of our listeners may feel that we're maybe probing a little too deep into the biochemistry. But if if I'm hearing your points, uh, Albert, the insulin that we think of as this good hormone, it is good, we need it for life, but higher levels of insulin are actually harmful. They're one of those so-called growth hormones, and they can feed the growth of of blockage in the arteries as well as uh, feed the growth of tumors. And it seems that you've found that when someone eats more animal proteins, their insulin levels go up. Is that 
a correct understanding of what you're trying to communicate. That's what we're looking at in our research, yes. So, so let's bring this all back home. We want to make this really practical for folks tuning in. Someone's listening right now. They say, okay, I hear these guys talking about beans and meat and, and uh, corn, rice. What should I be eating? What kind of advice do you give to people as a nutritional scientist? Well, what I think we should be looking at is a whole, balanced, wholesome diet. What we're eating right now is junk food and all kinds of things like that, packaged foods. We need to go back to the basics of our history. We need whole grains, legumes, vegetables, fruits, nuts, the whole things that come from the, from plants. And that is the best diet. Right now, the scientific world is screaming out, eat plant foods. Okay, so someone hears that, that message. It's screaming. It really is whether it's in the medical research literature, now many lay sources speaking about the importance of eating more fruits, grains, vegetables, nuts, seeds, like you mentioned, those legumes, those beans, especially powerful. But, but here's the question, Albert. Someone hears that message. They say, I hear, I've heard it, and I'm eating more of those foods. Does it really make, if someone says, well, hey, does it really make a difference? Is anyone going to really know the difference if I just sit down and have a big steak and uh, let's say I just eat steak and uh, and a, a cheeseburger just for, for fun one day because I like those foods. Could anyone really tell? Does it really make any difference biochemically in their body if every other day the rest of the week or the rest of the month they're eating all those good plant foods? What is so often uh, the case that I was so uh, surprised is that in our studies, one meal made the difference. Huh. We could tell what person ate the animal protein and what person ate the, the um, plant protein just by the amino acids and the hormone levels in the blood within a half an hour after eating. So you're saying that what I do eat at one meal actually changes me biochemically within half an hour? Absolutely. And that to us was an amazement. It, it, you, you can't imagine, you know, looking at the data for, for the first time. I didn't know that when, before we did the study. So why is that practical? What, what, so someone says, okay, well, it's changing my biochemistry, but what does that mean? Is it really hurting me? Well, what, what the problem is that disease is not an immediate type of thing. It's a prolonged thing. And the more you do, do the wrong thing, the more likely you're going to suffer the consequences. Conversely, if you choose the better choices, then that's going to make it so that you can have a longer life, help your life. Now, this is such an important point, and it, it relates to these diseases that are the diseases killing us in Indian country and beyond, right? It's the cancers, it's the heart disease, it's the strokes, right? Aren't these all chronic diseases that are related to nutrition? All of them, in fact, they're related to the amino acid, what we're discussing right now, the hormones, the cancer, the, the diabetes, um, heart disease, yes. And what's so, so interesting is this, that if you have been doing uh, the, the making the poor, poor choices, let's 
say you, you're eating a lot of the animal products and so forth, you, you can change. And the minute you change, your biochemistry responds within minutes of when you do choose the right uh, food. That's an exciting message. So basically you're saying it's never too late. We can start to turn back the clock. And, of course, you and I know research has shown that you can even, on this type of uh, a diet, like a total plant-based diet or vegetarian diet, as some would call it, or vegan diet, you can actually reverse blockages in heart arteries just like a uh, a natural bypass, if you will. That's correct. Good. And we, we, have, uh, we now know that you can reverse uh, heart disease. Actually, there was a researcher... Uh, that shows that you can reverse heart disease by using the vegetarian diet. It was a plant diet that showed that you can reverse heart disease, and that was not known before 1990. Now, this was uh, this is all just exciting information, and it's very practical. We've talked a lot about the biochemistry, a lot about the science, but the message to you listeners and to me is that the foods we eat make a huge difference. And those foods that were traditionally valued throughout Indian country, really across tribal lines, many, many tribes emphasizing those whole plant foods, these are really the winners when it comes to nutrition today. Albert, I know that uh, the clock is just racing ahead. It is uh, totally oblivious to the fact that we could talk for another hour with profit and share lots of practical lessons. But as we're closing out the show today, are there any final thoughts that you have, final messages that you would like to give our listeners? If there is a single message that I hear from the scientific research coming out right now is eat a plant diet. If you want to have the best health, it is the best overall diet that you can have. So now, Albert, I'm going to ask you one more difficult question in our in our closing moments here, and maybe this is putting you too much on the spot, but you've been telling us about all this research. You've been trying to motivate us to eat more plant foods. Um, how many steaks would you say you eat an average week? Well, that's an interesting question. I haven't eaten steak for years. The more I do research, the more I'm, I'm, I realize and know that eating a plant diet is the way to go. Albert, thanks so much for your research as well as your example. We have got to run. But for all of us at American Indian Living, we hope today's show has driven home an important point. There is wisdom in the traditional approaches of indigenous peoples throughout the world, right here in North America. If you're Native American, value the corn, the beans, the squash, the plant foods that your ancestors valued. And cutting-edge research says you'll have better health. For all of us at American Indian Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose, wishing you, as always, the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.